This podcast is brought to you by the Empower Her program, a 12-week gut and hormone restoration program. If you are suffering from chronic digestive and menstrual cycle issues, this may be the program for you. Go to www.sophieandkyleen.com forward slash empower her to join the waitlist. Welcome to the She Talks Health Podcast, your source for information about all things women's hormonal health. I'm your host, Sophie Shepard. I'm the founder of She Talks Health and the co-creator of the 12-week Empower Her group gut and hormone program. I'm a certified functional health coach and a holistic menstrual health educator. This podcast was created to give you clarity about how to take control over your hormonal health using safer, natural options. I created this podcast to cover the widespread and complex health issues plaguing women today. From the rise of infertility to the epidemically high numbers of women with autoimmune disease to menstrual cycle problems, digestive issues, anxiety, weight gain, food sensitivities, mental, emotional, and energetic imbalances, and so much more. If there's a topic that you need answered, I encourage you to write us at podcast at shetalkshealth.com and we will try our absolute best to cover that subject. My greatest mission in life is to help women radically change their health and their lives by teaching them how they can use their hormones as their superpowers. So with that in mind, I hope you enjoy today's episode. Welcome back, ladies, to the She Talks Health Show. This is your host, Sophie Shepard, and I'm a functional nutrition practitioner. I help women get to the root cause of their menstrual cycle issues, and I am so excited to have Dr. Lauren Rubal back on the show for a part two. We talked before with Dr. Rubal about abnormal menstrual cycles, the reasons, and a couple of solutions, but today we're going to dive into some more holistic solutions and some medical solutions that you can consider so that you feel completely empowered around your menstrual cycle. And if it is abnormal, we're going to give you lots of tools. So Dr. Lauren Rubal, to just give you a little introduction of her, she has the longest bio ever. I'm just going to keep it short. She's a fellowship trained reproductive endocrinology and infertility specialist, and she lives in Newport Beach, California. She actually specializes in holistic fertility and reproductive hormone issues. So she is literally changing the world because she has been trained in all the IVF and IUI things, but she also understands the holistic side of things. So we're just so excited to have Dr. Lauren Rubal back on the show. So welcome back. Thank you. I'm so excited to be back and see you and talk. Yeah, me too. I love talking to you. It's so much fun. You have just such an incredible amount of board sort of certified knowledge. So. <laughs> so let's dive right in. And again, ladies, go back to episode 18, Abnormal Menstrual Cycles, so you can understand. Um, we talked about the normal cycle, You know what to look for if it was a normal cycle, what, um, what could potentially cause you to have an irregular cycle, why ovulation is truly the main event each month, and some of just like the top causes around these irregular cycles. So go back and, and listen to that foundation, and then we're going to talk about kind of tools and solutions in this episode. So let's dive right in. I know you used to be more um, on the IVF and IV, IUI side of things, but now you have the holistic practice. And so I'm sure you see 
a lot of women having irregular cycles and absent ovulation in the infertility world. And I know you're a big component of the holistic side. So what if someone came in with an irregular cycle and they were trying to get pregnant or they were just trying to get their cycle to be regular, kind of where would you start from the holistic side? And then I know after a while you probably would turn to medication. So um, why start holistic, I guess? And then what would be like a way to support ovulation? Oh, such a good question. I mean, I think the question of why to start holistically is the, the answer to that is that I, I truly believe that we need to take that whole body approach in every aspect of medicine. And in particular, fertility is so well suited to the healing that it comes from really um, restoring the process in the body and restoring that menstrual cycle. And I think, of course, that's the best way. That's the way we want everyone to get pregnant is on their own without any assistance from us. And so um, I... I always emphasize the integrative medicine approach when I am counseling patients. And even if we can't achieve pregnancy completely holistically, completely naturally, at least we know we're in as um, we've really optimized really outcomes when we, when and if we do need to use medications. And so when I talk to patients about that holistic approach, it really is multi-pronged. And the first thing I think of is a minimization of um, stress as much as possible, as hard mm. as that is to say and tell, as hard as that is, is sounds, okay? And I'm not saying this, I preface this always by saying to patients that I am not saying that this is their fault, that it is not because of their stress that infertility is occurring in the vast majority of cases. And I'm, again, I'm, I'm saying this to empower women, to empower couples, and not for it to be something else to feel guilty about, okay? And so that's like the number one point. This is huge, especially in the infertility world specifically, where there's a lot of blame that can be thrown around. And I think a lot of women feel that. And on top of it, there's the stress of trying to get pregnant, right? So it's just like there's, there's stress on top of stress. And yes. I, I really appreciate you saying this and empowering women around this. I mean, we do know that, you know, whether it be a mental, emotional stress or a physical stress or hidden internal stress, which is the work that I do as an FDN, it can cause issues inside of the body. And one of those issues can be around, you know, inflammation and inflammation can be an issue for ovulation. So it's just a being mindful that we, we want to kind of look at this holistically. And one of the best ways to look at things holistically is to look at our stress and how we're managing it, right? Exactly. That's exactly right. And, and that's how I uh, really kind of portray it as well. Not only that, I think that all of everything I'm about to say is all incremental and additive and the sum is greater than the parts, meaning that mm. even focusing a little bit on recentering oneself on a daily basis or even a few times a week can really do wonders. Um, and the reason for that, there's actually an endocrinologic reason, believe it or not. Uh -oh. So I remember last time we talked about that hypothalamic pituitary ovarian access, fancy words. Remember, it's that race to ovulation. It's the fuel coming from the brain and talking to those ovaries and um, starting that race of those follicles as the cars mm. and the egg as the driver in that car and one wins and gets released and the rest unfortunately dissolve away. But on overlaid on that pathway, believe it or not, is, um, is another hormone called kisspeptin. And kisspeptin is kind of like the boss of that pathway. And what's interesting about kisspeptin is it is influenced 
also by multiple things and the reproductive hormones like estrogen, but it's very much influenced by cortisol, which is the stress hormone, as well as leptin, which is a hormone involved in diet and nutrition. And so there you have it. This is not um, completely separate entities. Uh, again, it just kind of shows how everything is so intertwined in the body. Um, oh yeah. And so that's incredible. I thank you for sharing that. I, I think it's helpful to know kind of the science. For me, I always like to know the science behind how this affects us. And I mean, obviously we could have a whole episode around stress. And in fact, I have talked about stress a lot. So if you guys are kind of like, oh, that's, that's nice. They're saying to manage my stress. Like, how the heck do I do that? Um, go back to season one. We talked about this a lot um, with, we talk, let's see, we talked about it with um, a lot of people. There's a, there's a bunch of episodes around self-love and self-compassion, um, you know, activating your body's ability to stay, um, stay calm and heal with, with essential oils and breathing. So go back. If you guys are, are not sure how to get started on this, um, this journey of managing stress. Perfect. Exactly. Yes. And I, I would add also mindfulness, as I'm sure you've talked about, and then acupuncture mm -hmm. can clearly decrease cortisol levels. So um, yep. absolutely. I love that. So I think that other, um, I'm, I'm so glad that, that they have such a wealth of uh, a library um, to look at this and really take actionable steps. Okay. Um, other things that I would say are important are in the environmental or dietary realm. And that's in the fact that unfortunately there are hormone disruptors, endocrine disruptors. What that means is that they disrupt the hormones in our body. And that is not good. Okay. For a lot of women, this is not going to be a cause by any means of um, their irregular periods outright. But again, everything adds in, everything can contribute to this. And so what are ways we can minimize those endocrine disruptors? Well, we can try to decrease um, plastics potentially. This is one area that would be a potentially easy fix. You switch, you switch out all the Tupperware in your house for glass, for example. You can um, decrease your exposure to different fragrances or change your skincare makeup routine in general, okay? Um, but other areas that can decrease this exposure is in our diet. And so animal products um, are exposed to these endocrine disruptors. And therefore, when we consume them, Unfortunately, voila, we are now also exposing ourselves to this. So that could be another realm to make, again, small changes. This doesn't mean everyone needs to become vegan. Um, you know, there is some evidence to support a plant-based diet to optimize fertility, certainly. But as I tell my patients, even switching out one meal a week instead of the red meat to do a plant-based vegetable forward dish um, is wonderful and a great change and a huge step. Well, you just went through two really big topics. And I, uh, these are two things that we talk about a lot in the Empower 12-Week Gut Hormone Program that I do with Kyleen because it's so vast and important to understand how the dietary and then the environmental toxins add can add to our stress right so when we when we're talking about stress we're talking about all of these things that are kind of like the bucket for the body 
And I know that, like you said, it couldn't, maybe there's not a direct, like if you use a lot of plastic, you're not going to ovulate connection. But I know that with PCOS specifically, they're finding BPAs in, um, in children, like in adolescents, and then they're developing PCOS later. So they, I know for that one specifically, it's been linked and you gave really good examples of how kind of some things to switch out. I use beauty counter specifically for my, um, skincare routine. I love that. It makes me feel really good. makes me look really good. Um, and it's there like at the front lines of, you know, fighting for us all to have these, you know, certifications on makeup, for example. Um, so you do really want to be mindful of that and it can feel a little overwhelming, but you can just go on to the EPA.org um, and look at some of their hit lists and just start to make these small changes over time. It doesn't have to be like right away, like you mentioned. <laughs> and, and then around the dietary thing, something I want to comment on from, from my clinical experience with, with patients or with clients is that it's such a fine line because you're so right. Like where usually most people are in a standard American diet, they're eating like tons of, you know, red meat and potatoes and processed foods. So um, I definitely encourage a, a plant-based diet, but I, I also find, and I, I'll just speak to this, I find that my clients who come in who are vegan or vegetarian are often the sickest because mm -hmm. they're not getting vital nutrients. So when we run their blood labs, we find B vitamins and iron deficiency, anemia, magnesium deficiency, which are all parts of, you know, building, building blocks for hormones and low cholesterol, um, which is literally cholesterol is the first yeah. thing, as you yeah. know, the, the build hormones. So I think it is about like listening to your body and not listen, listening necessarily to, you know, one diet dogma, but finding what works for you, making sure you get high quality protein, making sure you get good quality, um, fats in and making sure that it's working for your body, that it fuels you. Um, and that it makes you feel really good because, um, sometimes I find that we like listen to these podcasts or we, um, we see something on Instagram and we get like, Oh, I have to be like vegan now or something. And so I'm so glad you said like, I'm not necessarily saying you have to be vegan or like this, you know, you don't have to label yourself. It's about like finding a balance that works for you. So I just wanted to speak into that because it's something I see a lot, um, in women that come to see me. I love that. That's so true. I tell everyone that, and even, and especially with the realm of nutrition and diet uh, regimens, exactly, because you can go down this rabbit hole, I feel like online, and you can find directly contradicting diets for the same diagnosis. And so what I tell patients is exactly the same is that we have to really tailor it and personalize it to you and how you are feeling. And so that's quite important is really kind of walking through that process. But I love that. Wonder Absolutely. Oh, and one other thing, this is just a really specific dietary tip or pack. If you are um, an omnivore and you're eating uh, animals, you want to, you know, obviously get like pasture raised, organic grass fed. I know that can feel really hard. And sometimes we live in a food desert. So it's just like impossible. I actually, um, when I'm home in New York, live in a food desert because I live all the way up at 181st street. So it's very hard for me to get good quality animal protein if I would want it. So I use, um, thrive market butcher box and moink box. Um, or yeah, just moink, I think.com. And they, um, are from small farms around the country that they ship you this meat. And it's all, you know, like grass fed, there's no antibiotics, there's no hormones added or anything like that. So these are just really quick, good resources. I also love this because it comes frozen and I can just take out a piece of meat 
for my dinner that I'm going to add lots of vegetables. Okay. Lots of vegetables <laughs> too. Um, but I just, I think that that's a really helpful tip if you feel really overwhelmed trying to make these decisions at the grocery store. So let's move on, but I just wanted to help people with that. Okay. Yeah, absolutely. That's beautiful. That's wonderful. Yeah. I would say that the other part of, um, my, uh, counseling in large part with the integrative medicine, uh, you know, realm is, supplements that are judicious and obviously, like you said, tailored to people's deficiencies if mm. they're present or designed in part for particular diagnoses. And so for our purposes, when we are talking about women who don't ovulate regularly, who have um, an ovulation, um, a very common cause is polycystic ovary syndrome or PCOS. Um, and for these women in particular, uh, a wonderful supplement is inositol which is part of that insulin signaling pathway. So good for so many different, I, I, it's like my wonder supplement. It's such a wonder supplement for PCOS. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, so there's benefits for thyroid potentially, there's benefits in male fertility, but for PCOS women in particular, again, it can really help improve insulin regulation as well as egg quality. And so those are two important facets that PCOS certainly can affect negatively. And so I love that one. Um, mm. There are different isomers. And so um, one that is good for PCOS is a 40 to one ratio of myo to dechiro inositol. So there are certain brands that you can find that will already have that pre-existing. There's some other evidence that suggests that myo-inositol may be sufficient, that you don't need to start doing all of these ratios. Um, but, but that is one that's like that I like and is readily available um, out on the market. Obviously, as um, um, two big caveats with supplements, the first is the hard part about supplements is they aren't regulated by a body such as the FDA. And so it behooves us to do our own research to ensure that we can um, have an idea or as much as possible, a guarantee about the quality of the actual um, ingredient that you're looking for from batch to batch um, and the, that quality of that ingredient. So um, USP is a good way. It's a label that shows there's an independent testing site. And then there are also certain brands that um, have independent testing that they do. So that's an important point. That is a really important point. I always use Fullscript as a practitioner so that I can ensure that the brands that are inside of that, that I'm recommending to clients are third-party tested, because like you said, there's just no um, governing body around supplements. So you do want to make sure, and also, you know, like and I'll just say this, screaming from the rooftops, please don't order your supplements on Amazon. Like you do not know where they're coming from. They could be snake oil and then you're just wasting your money, potentially making yourself sick, having something else that isn't included. So it is one of those places where I think it's worth it to do the research or talk to a practitioner that you trust about the brands that are um, best for, for you. And I mean, we shouldn't really be thinking about taking supplements willy nilly without testing or understanding what our root causes are anyways. So, um, you know, all the supplements we talk about on this episode on the show are our generalizations for groups, bodies of people. So we really want to be mindful about like, not just supplementing, which I know you and I talked about before we, yeah. we hit record. Um, it's just something I see a lot, right. Is people just supplementing randomly. That's exactly right. That's right. Because everything, as I tell patients, even medication, supplements, anything we do, there are always pros, but there are always cons. Right. And it's important to understand that walk in eyes wide open and be able to balance those risks to find a decision that you can feel most at peace with. Mm. So, 
absolutely. With all those caveats, what are some other like go-to Dr. Rubal supplements that you sometimes um, recommend to patients? So I would say the other, the last caveat before I say all of those is that with any pregnancy, my, also my advice is to stop the supplements. The one thing that I want patients to continue in pregnancy is prenatal vitamins, of course. Mm-hmm. In fact, one of my go-to supplements is methylfolate, which is a basic one that is contained in some prenatals. You do want to make sure it's that formation because it's the most easily absorbed. That one has wonderful effects. It not only minimizes the risk of certain birth defects, like an open spine defect, if you're taking it for a few months before you get pregnant or cleft lip or palate or even heart defects. But there is other evidence to support that it optimizes fertility when um, folate acids are replete, as well as um, if there is a folate deficiency that may be linked to depression and depressive symptoms. And so again, that whole process of fertility in general is so difficult already. So let's make sure that we are replete so that we don't have that also impacting us. And so that's a, that's a huge one. That one of course can stay on with pregnancy, but the rest of them, I do always caution patients to stop. Now, what about, I, I know that a lot of, I've worked with a lot of pregnant women as well, whose doctors have recommended, you know, um, omega-3 fatty acids with their, with their multivitamin. Is that something you recommend um, before and, um, and during pregnancy? Absolutely. And that is because of course, what's really well touted about the omega-3s, the fish oil is it's um, beneficial effects on the baby's brain development, right? That's what I feel like everyone uh, is familiar with that. With that being said, for the fertility sphere, it's wonderful because it does, again, also optimize fertility. There's clear studies supporting this, both for female and male factors. Of course, the very best way to get our fish oil in is by consuming fish. I know that this is a little bit at odds with that plant-based diet I was just um, praising, but um, if you are going to be eating um, animal proteins, the fish is the best one. However, we have to balance that with the risk of mercury um, exposure. And so I would caution people not to eat more than a few servings of fish a week. That should be the most. But um, if people want to do an omega-3 supplement, um, that's wonderful. For all the reasons I listed, that can be continued in pregnancy as well. Um, And you have to watch out for the right ratios. One that I commonly recommend um, is a Nordic Naturals prenatal. Yeah, I do that one as well. I, lo- I love that one because it has, yeah, it has everything. It's so great. Um, yeah. And I know that some of the science behind the the omega-3s is, well, one is that it increases, um, you know, it, it lowers your inflammation potentially because we have a lot, a lot of us have a lot of inflammation, which can cause us to not ovulate, cause issues there. But um, I know it increases nitric oxide, right? So that's going to help with like blood vessels and blood flow, which is really great. And yeah, like that embryo implantation that um, that you were talking about and everything. So it's just a, it's a really good superfood um, supplement that you could try. And I agree totally on like not overdoing it with with fish. The other thing you guys can think about is um, the type of fish. So if it's a larger fish, it's more likely to have mercury toxicity, like a tuna or a shark. Um, if you wanted to go with uh, like a really safe option um, or a safer option would be wild catch, I believe wild. Wild catch, I think, is the um, 
Mm-hmm. is the brand they do like the canned oh. salmon and things like that so you know that's like a, that's something i'll have for lunch sometimes is like greens and you know a um, salmon salad um so that's a really good one to think about because they actually screen for the mercury which is great um and then you obviously want to look for wild caught fish not farm raised because farm raised fish are treated the same way that commercial cows are um so they're lots of hormones and things that we don't want, right? We don't, we are trying to manage our own hormones. We don't want to have the hormones from a fish or a cow. So I love that option. Okay. So we've covered omega-3s and we covered um, myonositol. What about like antioxidants or vitamin C, things like this that really help to lower inflammation? Are those ever on your protocols or is there other supplements that you like? Yeah, absolutely. So the ones that I would say, you know, then we start thinking about, like you said, the antioxidants. And the goal for that is really to help with egg and sperm quality. And the reason for that is because that egg and that sperm even is really developing in the few months before it's released. And so that's the time where we can really make a difference in terms of the chromosomes, because all egg quality is, is chromosome status in a way. The egg is frozen in the middle of a chromosome division since before we're born. And it doesn't divide again, that meiotic division, if you remember from biology, until it's released, until it's ovulated. And so it's sitting there. And so um, what we think of as poor quality really is in many ways due to the machinery that's supposed to pull those chromosomes apart being rusty. And in that case, they then pull the chromosomes apart in ways we don't want it to. And therefore, you'll have abnormal chromosomes that get translated into abnormal chromosomes in the embryo because they add with the sperm chromosomes. Um, And so that's the reason why quality matters. What's wonderful is that if we decrease free radicals, we can help um, prevent these breakage um, issues and the, these problems with the um, microtubules and whatnot in this meiotic process. And so that's the whole rationale behind antioxidants. A couple that are many women are very familiar with is coenzyme Q10. Ubiquinol is another term for this. It's an antioxidant used for heart health. We think that it can be helpful for the mitochondria, which is the energy producers um, in that cell. DHEA is a mild male hormone that I really love. Um, and I think there is good evidence to support its benefit in improvement of egg quality. However, this one certainly should not be started on your own. I encourage you to go and talk to um, a provider beforehand because it, you should really get your blood male hormone levels tested again to make sure that you need that. Um, there can be some side effects that are um, very male dominant, like oily skin or acne, um, hair growth even. And just like anything else, we don't want to be having you take something if you already have high excess levels of male hormone. But that one can be quite helpful. And then I'm also a fan of Mm -hmm. N-acetylcysteine, which is a mucus thinner. It's a mucolytic. Um, And that one can be super helpful, both in um, PCOS, there is some data and literature to support this, but also I like it as an anti-inflammatory. So my patients who I presume or who I know have endometriosis, for example, Mm -hmm. this one, there are some interesting studies that support its role in mitigating the progression of endo. Um, And so all the ones I mentioned are overall really tolerated well. Um, That's... 
That's, that's a lot. I love it. I'm like, Oh my gosh, it's so good. So, um, I just want to go back to DHEA like, and say that this is something you have to, I mean, I know you just said it, but I was just going to say it again. You have to get tested for this because it's a hormone. So you could have high DHEA already. And so you don't want to just supplement with DHEA. I had a client come in once with, um, really painful periods and she was supplementing with progesterone and pregnenolone. And I'm like, well, okay, that, you know, if you're low in those, that makes a lot of sense. But if you're not, then, you know, <laughs> we don't necessarily want to supplement with things we don't know, right? So well, also, especially for something like that, you can, that's actually, it could be a contraceptive, right? If you use it in the wrong part yeah. of the cycle. And so you're going to be completely contradicting what, what you're hoping to accomplish. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. So I definitely recommend seeing a provider about that. Also, um, you know, getting a Dutch test, that's something that I do in my practice. It'll tell you the exact pathways and all of the percentages of all the different hormones and where you're at and where you're lowest in. So you can kind of make a decision from that and bring that to your provider as well, which is really helpful. So um, yeah, so cool. And then I loved all the antioxidants. I use NAC all the time in my practice. I love that antioxidant. And um, I just, I actually use it. I, I use um, NAC for myself. That's like something that I use often in my, just for my own. Um, yeah. And then I know like other things, guys, if you are like, oh my gosh, I'm supplemented out, like organic blueberries and you know, pomegranates and things like that. Any antioxidant berry, even dark chocolate, as long as it doesn't have a lot of processed sugar in it, can be a really, really helpful antioxidant. And then the ECGC, right, from um, from green tea can also be another antioxidant. These are all things that are maybe a little bit cheaper than the supplement. So there's just so many options. I love that you went into all the science behind this. Like this is just, I'm nerding out and I hope this is super helpful for all the women listening. Okay, so we've in a perfect world, we've worked on holistic, right? We've, we've covered supplements. We've managed our stress. We're exercising. We didn't really talk about that, but we're exercising, right? We're moving our body. We are not eating a bunch of trans fats and sugars and uh, alcohol and caffeine and all these things. And we've limited our environmental toxins. Um, and, and then maybe we get to a place where we're still not ovulating regularly. Now, from my perspective, though, there's a lot more digging to do from a functional diagnostic nutrition perspective. I'm going to run a heavy metals test. I'm going to run a hormone test. I'm going to be running a gut test um, and, and a blood work to see like what's going on because there's a lot of hidden stressors. But say you're not working with an FDN or a functional practitioner and you're coming to someone like yourself, an REI, reproductive endocrinology um, specialist, well, what point do you kind of intervene and say, okay, holistics, not maybe getting us all the way there. Like what else can we do? Are there medications and what are those medications that you might recommend? Yeah, absolutely. So this is, again, it's so common not to have regular cycles. And so this is a common experience that women have. And so the way I think about it is that I break down the types of medications into either oral medications or injections, injectable gonadotropins is what they're called. And so to start with the oral types, that is either um, clomiphene citrate, which is commonly known as Clomid, or uh, letrozole, which is commonly known as Femara. And they actually operate by different mechanisms of action. And so, but they're main goal is to ramp up the body's own fuel, the, the FSH and LH coming from the brain. Their job is to really trick the brain in a way um, 
into thinking there's no estrogen around. And because of that, because of that negative feedback loop that the HPO axis has, the brain says, whoa, 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 we need to um, increase that fuel so that race can start. And so it might provide that ramping up will then drive that hopefully that full race to ovulation and someone will be released. Can I and ask so- a question about that? Because I, now I'm, I have a question. <laughs> so <laughs> what, um, I guess my question would be like, is it that, is it what happens? Why you would need this is if a woman was having a regular cycle and she was having estrogen, but it just wasn't surging and getting high enough that it wasn't triggering kind of that LH surge as well. Is that like, cause obviously we, we don't want estrogen to be low, but we want, in this case, it sounds like the, the body, the brain needs to be told that it's low so that it will stimulate estrogen. So is this used in a case where someone might be creating estrogen, but just not enough to stimulate, you know, ovulation? Yeah, absolutely. And this, what you bring up is the perfect point is that um, even though, yes, we do, we do it for women like PCOS women, for example, will have quite variable and sometimes high estrogen levels, but not high enough to provoke the LH surge. To do that, we know that we need a sustained blood estrogen level of greater than 200 picograms per ml continuously for over 50 hours, okay? And that's what's going to cause that LH surge to happen. That's what's gonna cause ovulation to, to, uh, to occur. With that being said, the point is this. These oral medications will not work for every anovulatory patient. And again, it goes back to the endocrinology of this. It re- this medication type requires an intact HPO axis. What I mean by that, and one common example is hypothalamic insufficiency, which is a fancy way of saying women who for different uh, reasons have different stressors, be it emotional or physical stressors if they're working out uh, significantly excessively, or nutritional stressors, and the classic example of that is anorexics or bulimics. But for whatever reason, if they're undergoing a stress on the body, their body um, appropriately goes into that survival mode, which I think we discussed the last time, and it says, we can't support anyone else, we're gonna turn down the fuel, we're not gonna run the race to ovulation. Here's the problem. By the body, again, appropriately doing that is trying to protect that person. There isn't enough fuel around to ramp up. And so that's um, going to be a reason why that medication is not a great option for that patient, for example. Oh, man. Yeah. And I think this is this is a big thing. We've talked about this before. I know I've talked about this, and I'm pretty sure we talked about this, that, you know, why someone... We talked about this in, in reference to IVF and IVI. It's like, it's a great option if, but thinking about the the host, the, the person, right? Like, are are you in a completely depleted state because you're stressed out, or you're not eating foods that are fueling you, or your environmental toxins are very high, right? So, going back to that holistic side and making sure you're fueled and ready, um, so that you can optimize these um, and even these medications. So that's really really interesting. Okay, so there's the two medications. Why would you choose one over the other? Or do you just kind of randomly decide? (laughs) How do you you decide which one to do? I know there's a lot of ones randomly decide. I hope not. But I see see a lot of people very confused about the difference between the Uh, two. And why would I use one over the other? That's a great question. Um, Well, so Clomid's kind of like the, got the most experience. We've done Clomid for decades and decades. It's the selective estrogen receptor modulator 
fancy speak for saying it um, helps estrogen, it agonizes estrogen in some tissues, but it antagonizes estrogen in other tissues. And so again, the reason why Clomid's used so frequently is because of the vast amount of experience and research that has been done regarding Clomid. We know it works. We have um, very clear prognoses when we, when we use Clomid, we just have answers, okay? And so that's one reason. Um, that Clomid would be chosen. Um, but I would say actually Clomid's getting edged out by letrozole in terms of its use as an ovulation induction agent. And the reason I say that, by the way, letrozole or Fomara is an aromatase inhibitor. And so what that means is it um, inhibits the enzyme aromatase, which typically converts androgens to estrogens. And again, tricks the brain by thinking there's low estrogen levels around. Um, the reason why I say that letrozole is now probably a more popular choice is because of the fact, number one, there have been a lot of studies done, especially recently, showing that letrozole is more effective in terms of its chance of ovulation and even pregnancy rate. So that's a big, that's very that's important. That's a huge one, yeah. Huge, right? Number one. Number two, it may not have some of the negative side effects that Clomid does. So for example, a common issue with Clomid, a relatively common issue with Clomid is the fact that, again, it's a it has different uh, effects on different tissues. And unfortunately it has a negative effect on the lining of the uterus and on the cervical mucus. That is not good because we know that a thin uterine lining, if it's less than seven millimeters, for example, that's going to negatively impact your chance of pregnancy. We do not want to do that, of course. And so um, because of its mechanism, because it works by a different way, letrozole will not have that similar impact um, as the Clomid can. Wow, um, that's a huge thing to understand and to think yes, about. Wow. It may not affect every woman, right? But some but that's why it's important that's why I think it's also important to be monitoring women because you can really watch that happen and be able to intervene as well in real time. Um, another reason that um, letrozole is uh, liked is that it has a higher chance of causing what we call monofollicular development, which is again fancy words. All it means is one follicle to develop. That is a good thing because I know by the time I see my patients, everyone wants um, multiple pregnancies because they just, it, it, I, I completely can understand that point. With that being said, from a medical perspective, our goal is for patients to be pregnant with one healthy baby because anything more than that it increases risk of complications for moms and babies. And we know that letrozole um, has probably a lower risk of um, multiple pregnancies. Um, and so those are all amazing things. And so I probably the next question you're going to ask is, well, why does anybody use Clomid these days? Yes. Um, again, I think that the experience uh, with it is so vast. I think Clomid does work well. And for certain patients, it, it's wonderful. It works very well. And then I also think the last point is that initially there were some studies. The FDA did put a black box warning on letrozole because of the risk of birth defects um, with it. And so... That was a huge reason why letrozole hat was really left by the wayside for quite a long time. There has been a lot, again, we're using it. And the reason for that is because medically, physiologically, we don't believe that this has the same impact as what that black box warning suggests. What I mean by that is that we would not use letrozole in pregnancy. We would 
use that letrozole before a woman becomes pregnant. We, of course, check to make sure that woman is not pregnant when we're using it. We know based on the half-life of that letrozole that it is out of the system by the time, hopefully, that embryo implants into I see. Okay. And so, and then also there's some questions about that study, that initial study that had that association and some of the design uh, issues you know, therein. So anyway, so that's just a little recap though on the fact that again, pros and cons with every medication. Okay. But I think the good thing to know is that both of these medications incredibly effective um, and work well and overall have not intolerable side effects, um, side effect profile. Thank you so much for going through that because I feel like one of the things I hear the most from women is that they are very confused about their options. They Mm -hmm. don't understand that there's things they can do for themselves. And then when there is medication, they're really afraid of the side effects or they're not even told the side effects or they're not told like, you know, the, the studies behind it. I mean, this is incredible information for us to have. And I don't even know that that's, you know, the fault of anyone except for the fact that we're just overpopulated and, you know, doctors are really busy. So it's hard to get all this stuff. I mean, who has time to go through this with every single patient? So I really appreciate you going through it. Um, one thing I did want to ask actually is does someone have to come to an REI like you to, um, to get on one of these medications or should they, or can they go to their OBGYN? Like why would someone see you, I guess, um, instead of, or in addition to their OBGYN? Yeah, that's a great question. I think that of course, I'm talking about, you know, access to doctors and access to medicine. I think that of course, if, um, some OBGYNs feel certainly comfortable, um, overseeing uh, types of these oral medications. And I think it depends again on the cause that that woman is dealing with. So some women will see with irregular periods and they can take these medications even at home, we call it unmonitored. Again, it has to be discussed and tailored per patient. But I would say, I'm, I mean, I'm biased, okay? But I would <laughs> say that also with that being said, um, what I love to do with my patients is not just assume that it's going to work, that again, there won't be any untoward effects, there won't be any impact on the lining or on how many follicles are being released or that the egg is even released. I really um, like to watch that person very closely. And so that's the, I think, a great benefit of an REI, of seeing a, a subspecialist, is that we can really monitor throughout that cycle and use all of the biomarkers at our disposal, be it transvaginal ultrasound monitoring and our knowledge of how the growth of that follicle correlates to the maturity of the egg within, Um, blood testing and urine testing potentially for hormone markers, and again, how that interplays with what we're seeing on ultrasound. Um, And then of course, you can use cervical mucus and basal body temperature as an additional supplement. But um, I think that we're just really able to paint that picture to get all the pieces of that puzzle and and proactively address any potential issues to get ourselves the very best uh, possibility of pregnancy that month, which is the goal, of course. Mm, thank you so much for going through that. And my only other, I think my only other question here is when someone does come to you or when someone's, you know, tried all these things we've talked about holistically, like how, how, how long should someone be kind of trying these things before they try a medication like Clomid? Great question. I would also, again, say it depends a little bit on the diagnosis. And so mm. the first thing is, is that we will never, of course, say that, oh, we cannot see you because you now have not tried for long enough. I've certainly seen couples and women who 
they haven't even started trying, but they're just really being proactive and are concerned about a certain aspect of their fertility and want answers for peace of mind. And that is, again, I never think that's a bad thing. And then they can go off and try on their own and they feel better, right? Um, With that being said, certainly we consider infertility as in someone with irregular periods, irrespective of that woman's age, as trying... um, with unprotected intercourse without pregnancy for greater than six months, certainly I would want them to be coming in. And again, if she hasn't had a spontaneous period, if she doesn't have any signs and markers of ovulation, sooner than that is not a bad thing. Okay. Mm-hmm. Um, so, so that is important. And we can also not only do um, oral medications, but the other part of what REIs are very comfortable with is doing the injectable medications to stimulate ovulation. And so that is an important parameter, especially like we said, in those situations where stress may be playing a role, where that hypothalamic insufficiency could be the culprit. Got it. Amazing, amazing, amazing. And I one one final question to go back to the supplements, because I know that this is a this is something that maybe women aren't piecing together that I really want to outline. You've mm-hmm. mentioned, we, we, in both episodes, we've mentioned the HPO access and that all of our hormones are kind of regulated by our hypothalamus and our pituitary and our brain and other, other things, but those, that's kind of the command center. So are some of the supplements you mentioned, and I, I know the answer to this, but <laughs> I just love for you to speak <laughs> into it, helpful for specifically um, you know, the brain activity, the, the brain's ability, because I think sometimes we think, oh, it's, it's like the problems in my uterus, but no, like a lot of times the problems actually in the triggering system in our brain. So, you know, can supplements or can lifestyle be supporting that part, you know, like the hypothalamus and the pituitary? Oh, absolutely. I mean, I, and I think perhaps we did touch upon this last time. I can't recall, but, um, I tell everyone that, Hormones have receptors in the brain. They are, they are so important. In fact, I believe we did talk about this. Just um, they literally can um, potentiate or um, increase all of the different neurotransmitters um, and affect them. And they do it with different effects. So estrogen affects it differently than progesterone does. And so certainly the first point is, is that hormones matter to the brain. The second point is that um, certainly um, the defects in ovulation can be either at the level of the ovary, but it absolutely could be um, the primary issue is within that brain and not um, producing the fuel or responding to it at the right time. Well, thank you for explaining that because I think that that's part of the whole holistic part of this um, conversation, right? Is that there's there's multiple mechanisms and kind of pulley systems that are happening in the body. So we want to just kind of support the body overall um, brain health and ovary health and everything else. So um, great. Well, is there anything that I didn't ask you that I missed that you feel like is pertinent to this part too? No, I think that that, that hopefully was a good overview for people to try to continue to heal themselves. Um, and then always seek partnership with your provider and really walk down that path together. Because um, I think the last thing I always say to everyone all the time is that please remain hopeful. We are not in control. Um, That can be one of the hardest parts of the fertility struggle, but it also is um, hopefully a beacon of hope. I certainly see that all the time. And I, I hope that people hear that as well. 
And if you're not trying to get pregnant and you're just, you're just having a regular cycles, these are all like, especially the holistic things, these are all things you can try um, to kind of get your cycle back on track. Cause I think that's important too. It's not just about getting pregnant. Um, obviously you might not want to be spending the money to go to an REI if you're, <laughs> you're not trying to get pregnant, but, um, maybe you would, I don't know. Um, just Actually, to get ovulation. I have a huge um, proportion of my patients are, are, I'm so amazed. It's, I was just telling someone the other day, are these young women and I'm so proud of them because they're <laughs> so proactive and empowered and they are taking hold of their health and they're like, my periods are not, I, I'm, I'm not ovulating. I need to figure out why. And they want to do it. Like you said, in this very natural approach, they don't mm -hmm. want to have to go down the pathway of all the artificial birth control pills or all these other means. And I applaud them. I love it. So yes, there's, there's actually a lot of women who are um, young and not trying to get pregnant at the moment, but just want to feel well. And it, it is, it's an essential part of feeling well. So that yeah. is such an incredible thing to hear. I'm so glad to hear that because that is so much my work is it's not so much in the fertility space, but much more in the empowerment of women around their period and how important it is. So mm -hmm. I love that you have patients coming in and I love that it's young women who want to take control of their health and oh God, it's really, that just like lights me on fire. I love it. <laughs> They're way ahead of where I was when I was there. Right. Exactly. Exactly. All right. Well, Dr. Rubal, where can people find you? Well, I am, you can find me on my website, so laurenrubalmd.com, um, and I see patients in my Orange County, California location, but I do see a lot of patients virtually in this day and age, 2020, right? Um, and so I also see California patients through that means as well. So um, happy to talk to anybody, and they can also call me and we can have a conversation. Thank you so much for giving us such a large amount of valuable time with this episode and the previous episode. It's been such a pleasure to have you. Oh, I love talking with you always, Sophie. Thank you for all that. I loved, I was, I was learning so much too. It was great. Oh, cool. I love that. Well, and ladies, if you want to learn more from me, you can check me out. My website is shetalkshealth.com. I'm also on Instagram at shetalkshealth and I have an open DM policy. <laughs> so please, my door is always open. If you guys have questions about your period, about some crazy symptoms you're having, please shoot me a DM, shoot me an email. I'm happy to help you. And I know that uh, Dr. Lauren Rubal would be too. So check her out, Dr. Lauren, or sorry, it's just laurenrubalmd.com uh, Lauren and Sophie Shepard um, here signing off and I'll see you guys next week. Thank you. Bye. Bye. I hope this episode got you one step closer to achieving your optimal health. If you liked this episode, please spend a few seconds to rate it so more women can find this resource. Be sure to tune in for more women's health support next week on the She Talks Health podcast. And in the meantime, you can find me on Instagram or Facebook at She Talks Health. I have an open door DM policy. No question is stupid and I'm always here for you.